our horror special. It's Hall- Christmas. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. Yes. No, it's Christmas for us. Some other people. No, Happy Halloween. Thanks, Christmas Halloween, everybody. No, 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 no. It's like my friends like to say that Halloween is gay Christmas. Oh, that makes sense because you dress up. Yes. And go out and drag. Yes. I get it. I get right, it. I get right, it. Right, 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 right. Okay. Then, then for a lot of them, every day is Halloween. Yeah. You didn't. Yeah. Did you hit the table with it? Did not. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's Halloween. It and... is Halloween, and this is the sodium exposure Halloween special. Yay! No. Miggy doesn't like Halloween. No, I love Halloween. I hate horror movies. I can barely sit through Trick or Treat. Okay. Uh, We have a special guest today. Ta-da! Greetings! Oh, hello. (laughs) Greetings! Does it count chocula? Something like that. Blah! Introduce yourself, and then we'll introduce ourselves, and then the show. Yep. Uh, hello, I'm Gino. I am, well, I, I, I'm a roving game master, the way I'd put it. I'm, I'm here momentarily because um, Australia kicked me out for a week. That's sad. Anyway, that's Gino, our guest. I'm Rika. And I'm Miggy. And this is Sodium Exposure. Exposure. Where we are gonna tell scary stories today. Because we're what? Spooky, scary skeletons, I think. Your spooky, salty skeletons. Yes, we are. All right, good. I like that. Let <laughs> me take it. It is yours. Spooky, salty skeletons. Yes. Okay. Um. Okay. So, what are we doing today? Like, seriously, we're gonna tell spooky, scary, salty, not salty, yeah. just spooky, scary stories found yeah. on the internet. <laughs> With the permission of the Midnight Society, of course. Of course, of course. Oh, you hit the table again. Sorry. <laughs> I don't get a chair. I'm okay. back. So we got spooky stories, and we also got a little thing tonight, don't we? We do? Yeah. Yes, we have. We have the murder mystery. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, we're going to a, um, a murder mystery live action party thing. Yeah, we are. I'm gonna play as the secretary of the deceased. I'm the deceased former childhood best friend. And I will be sir not appearing in this event. Yes, you'll, yeah. you'll be... Yeah. I'll be there in spirit, which is, I think, thematically appropriate. Yes, it's part of the <laughs> considering it is Halloween, yes. Considering... Australia, Philippines, time zones, timey wimey. So we're doing an escape room tomorrow, so that's okay. We've got an appropriate event slated for. I want to do time. an escape room. It is so good. Like I, we've got we've got like half a dozen. Um, my like our team in Sydney, mm-hmm. we've got like half a dozen under our belt now. Nice. nice. And I turned out to be the murderer at the last one we did, so that was interesting. Nice. <laughs> Mm. I wonder which one of us is going to end up a murderer. Well, we won't know until tonight. Yeah. So. So you better have something good for us, our friends over at Pop Quiz. Carla! Carla! And, and Car- Carla. 
Yeah. No pressure, guys. <laughs> All right, let's uh, get on to our first story. This is a campfire story by user Vital Duel. For a number of years, I was a camp counselor at an overnight camp in the Muskokas. I loved it more than any job I've ever had, despite the non-existent pay, annoying campers, long days and short nights, crappy food, etc. For one, I got to tell as many scary stories as I could sputter out. There was nothing better than hanging around a dying campfire with a bunch of junior high kids who were demanding the scariest, most blood-curdling tales I knew. And I told them all, the babysitter and the eerie clown statue, the driver and the creepy gas attendant, the woman and her licking dog. I saved my best stories for the overnight trips we made in Algonquin Park. For non-Canadians, it's a massive park in the middle of Ontario, spanning nearly 8,000 square kilometers. When days would be spent canoeing on pristine lakes, and nights would be spent around the fire, singing and making s'mores, and being as rowdy as the only people within miles could be. Once the kids had quieted down, I told them stories of a stalker in the woods with a face so horrifying it paralyzed all of its victims in fear for the group of campers who decided to spend the night across the lake from an abandoned, or was it, insane asylum. On this particular night, I'd finished up the tales, once again insisting that they were entirely true, and sent the campers to their tents. It had been an exhausting day, and none of the six kids were in any mood to stay up later. My fellow counselor had also decided to pack it in, leaving just me and a fallen log next to the dying fire. I took a deep breath of the cool, fine, fine-scented air and looked out at the lake. The partial moon reflected off the glassy water, and on the other side I could see towering cliffs, going up several hundred feet. I considered whether we could canoe over, climb up a few dozen feet, and do some cliff jumping. I grinned. The camp director would have my head if we did that, if he found out. Movement at the very top of the cliffs caught my eye. There was a small light bobbing along the peak. At first, I thought it was a star, but it was larger and gave off a golden glow. It slowly moved back and forth in a small arc. As I sat up and watched it, another appeared next to it, bobbing along the top of the cliff. Then another, and another, and a few more. My stomach dropped onto my feet. I grabbed my bag and pulled my digital camera out and focused it on the little glowing orbs and used the zoom function. I counted them, and then I counted again. Oh, shit. In a flash, I was up and running to the tents. Hey, guys, wake up. We gotta go. There was movement in the tents, and then I had seven confused heads looking out at me. My co-counselor wore a mixture of concern and pure anger. I hate to do this, I continued, but the clouds are looking really threatening. There's a big rainstorm coming in. If we get caught in it, it's going to ruin our trip. Seriously? Laura, my co-counselor, asked. We're in the middle of the woods. Where would we go? I pulled a map and flashlight out of my bag. There's a ranger station a few kilometers south of us. I traced the path with my finger. Thank God. We can make it there in a few hours. The campers groaned. Can't we just go in the morning? No! I shouted, my voice echoing across the lake. I lowered it. Come on, let's get packed up and go. I'll tell you a story along the way. I smiled, though I could feel my lips quivering. It's my best one. That seemed to get them going, and within 10 minutes, the tents were packed up and we'd begun our trek into the deep woods with small flashlights, our only guide. When I was confident we were moving at a steady pace, I allowed myself to relax and began to tell my favorite campfire story. 
Centuries before the European settlers made their way into the country, it was inhabited by the First Nations people. They had made the trip from across Western Canada, following the migration patterns of large animals such as buffalo and bison. Eventually, they reached Ontario, at which point they split off into smaller groups of travelers, each searching for a section of land to call their own. Legend has it that one group, consisting of about 20 men, women, and children, had ventured through this very area in search of a place to call home. Though it wasn't even the end of October, the weather had made a turn for the worse. As the group journeyed around the lake, a fierce blizzard hit. Within an hour, the group found themselves in blinding snow and below zero temperatures. The clothes they had on them were made for the fall, not this sort of weather. And there weren't any Canada Goose jackets around back then. But they pressed on. They didn't have any other choice. Night was falling as they reached the cliff bluff, which towered over a cold, choppy lake. There was no stopping for this group. They died, they didn't make it past the cliffs. But with darkness setting in and the snow falling even harder, visibility was almost non-existent. So one of the elders had an idea. Using the little kerosene they had left, he lit a lantern for each of the travelers and had them carry it in front of them. Not so they could see the cliffs, but so they could see who was in front of them, allowing them to all follow each other across the narrow bluffs. With the strongest of the men leading the way, the group began to cross the cliffs. The freezing and wet snow soaked every bone in their body. The harsh wind chilled any exposed skin and threatened to push them right off the rock. Their path was no more than a few feet wide and would have been slippery to even the best of hiking boots, let alone hand-fashioned moccasins. Slowly, painstakingly slowly, they made their way up the cliffs praying that whatever lay on the other side could shelter them from the intensifying storm. They were about halfway up, hundreds of feet above the lake, though it was well out of their vision. In fact, all they could see in this blinding storm was the lantern in front of them, acting as a beacon to guide their steps. If the light moved up, they moved up. If it went down, they moved down. Each of the travelers was almost in a trance, carrying about nothing but a flowing orb a few feet away. For the leader, though, there was no such luxury. He moved forward blindly, feeling along the cliff with his free arm, though his skin was so numb he could barely feel anything. As the path wound back again, he made the misstep and lost his footing, just as a gust of wind blasted his back. He desperately grasped for the hold, but his frozen fingers couldn't get anything. With a terrified scream, he slipped off the cliffs and fell into the icy black pool. The rest of the party didn't see him fall as close. All they saw was his glowing orb dropping away from the bluff and disappearing in the darkness. There was no time to mourn. They continued on, but the storm was worsening. After another minute, one of the children, his body unable to withstand the cold, dropped away, his lantern glowing until the choppy waters cut it out. Another, having seen this, lost his balance and fell. This pattern went on until there were just five people left fumbling along in the darkness, following the light in front. As hard as they tried, the cliffs were unforgiving. The remaining men fell down to four, then three, and two. And then, there was just one left. Who legend says cursed the earth as his legs slipped, and he plunged hundreds of feet down, his lantern the last one to be extinguished. Of the 20 members who tried to overcome the cliffs, finished, not one of them survived. They say that sometimes, 
and the conditions are right. You can see the orbs along the cliff, symbols of the lost travelers who will never find their home. As the story ended leaving the campers in an eerie silence, I saw lights up ahead. A wave of relief poured over me. We picked up the pace and found the ranger station bursting with activity, but a half dozen people running around loading up trucks and shouting at the radios. The wind was beginning to really pick up and I heard thunder in the distance. Hey, you kids, a large burly man with a full beard and mustache ran after us. Get in the trucks, we don't have much time. Laura and I led the kids to one of the pickup trucks. What's going on? I asked the man. Didn't you hear? Another gust of wind. Huge storm systems heading right for us. Already been tornadoes touched down. We're getting everyone out of here. Let's go. We all climbed into the truck's bed. I collapsed down, feeling like I'd just been punched in the gut. The ranger climbed into the front, and we took off down a makeshift road. My head was spinning. It wasn't possible. How? Laura slid next to me with a voice. How did you know we had to get out of there? I looked over at her. My face felt empty as any blood. I saw the lights. What? No. No! She gasped, then caught herself. How many? I took a deep breath. Eight. She looked around at all the campers who were now lying against each other, asleep despite the bumpy road. That's all of us. My God. I nodded and leaned against her. Laura had heard the traveler's story before and she knew that I'd left out a key bit of information. The lights were real, but they were never random. If they were shining, bobbing back and forth, swinging in a small arc, it was because they had a message, a warning. One light would shine for each person who was about to die. Wasn't all that scary. Are you sure? It's not gonna keep you up at night, which is, I think, what you wanted. Yeah, Miggy hates stories that will keep you up at night. I, I, I get the feeling that she's saving those for the ones that I'm gonna read. Possibly. Maybe. Next, we'll have Miggy read. Oh no. <laughs> all right, lay it on me. What do you got? Anthony Willis by Daisy Dreamer Anthony Willis is sitting in my chair today. A young man who's somehow skinny and fat at the same time and has greasy, unwashed hair. It crosses my mind that maybe I should have the chair clean when he leaves. This is his first time and he's still young, fresh, and stupid. Hopefully when he leaves my chair, he'll be more knowledgeable and maybe, just maybe, have gained a little more understanding. So, how old is your child? Oh, um, two months? Interesting. Most parents count the age of a newborn through weeks and days. Makes sense when every week is a new milestone. And most of them don't need a second to think about how long the child's been in their lives when they've only been there for such a short time. Do you have a wife? Yeah, she's uh, 21. Wow, that's the most defining thing you can think of about her. 
her age, not how long they've been married or even her name. Now that I think about it, he didn't mention his kid's name either, or even if they're a boy or a girl. Of course, I already know it's a girl because I read his file before I came in. How are they? Now he's fidgeting in his chair. Interesting. Um, good. They're pretty good. Pretty good? So descriptive. And he actually broke eye contact with me to say that. This guy's a horrible liar, thank god. He'll be so easy to break. Yes, but we're not here to talk about them, are we? He brings his eyes back to me and he sits up when he realizes that the small talk is over and it's time to get down to business. We're here to talk about you. So, how are they in relation to you? Um... I must have caught him off guard. He's uncomfortable. He's actually stretching his arms out and placing his hands behind his head in a subconscious attempt to take up more space. Typically in a human male this means they're either intimidated or trying to impress someone they're attracted to. Something tells me it's not the latter. After a few seconds of painful silence I decide to help him out. Let's start with your wife. Would you say you have a good relationship with her? I'm leaning forward, eyebrows furrowed, hands together on the table. It seems like the more attention I pay to him, the more awkward he becomes. It's delicious. Yeah, well, it's okay. God, this guy doesn't want to talk. That's fine because I've dealt with a lot worse. I have a lot of baddies come through this door and sit in my chair. So far, I've broken them all. Do you ever have arguments? or disagreements? Now I've got to him. People who are on the brink of divorce or murder will more times than not tell me that their marriage is okay. I think that people have a very hard time revealing things like that to strangers. You've been conditioned, after all. Slap a band-aid on a bullet hole and a smile on our face during hardship, especially marital strife. Well... Yeah, we do. We do argue. What do you argue about? Um, he's looking away from me again. I think this time he's trying to hide the emotion in his eyes. Lord forbid a man were to show any emotion. He gives a tiny chuckle that looks like it took a lot of effort to get out. Everything, really. Everything? That doesn't sound okay. Sounds miserable. Yeah. Miserable. It can be, actually. Ever since she got pregnant, he's still not looking at me. In fact, he's trying so hard to avoid eye contact, he has his face pointed almost completely away from me. That painting of a plant on the wall must be extremely compelling, because many of the people who sat in that chair have spent quite a bit of time staring at it. Funny because I always thought it was just a dumb painting of a plant. How have things changed between you two since she got pregnant? More fighting. A lot more fighting. Now he's gotten to the point where instead of spreading out, he's starting to take up less space. He's gripping his thighs and sitting upright. What do you fight about? Try to be specific. 
He's moving his hands up and down his thighs now. God, he just can't stop fidgeting, can he? Just stuff. I don't even know. It's always something. Every time I walk in the door, there's something wrong. Like, I've done something wrong. Just can't do anything, right? Do you try to help with the baby? Man, I try to. So now he's calling me man? Looks like I'm already breaking down walls. But it's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm not going to be able to make it stop crying. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So now the baby's in it. And she's breastfeeding, so it's not like I can help with that. And she never wants to just let it cry. She thinks it's our job to just jump up every time it makes a sound and find out what's wrong. And I'm just like, won't she get spoiled like that? The more upset he gets, the more fragmented and confusing his sentences are. But we've had one advancement. He referred to his baby daughter as she instead of it. So would you say you have different parenting ideals than your wife does? Oh yeah. He's looking at me now, nodding furiously. Sometimes I'll, I'll get mad and I'll be like, so what? Let the damn kid cry for a bit. And then she'll just lose it. Lose it? Oh yeah. Now he's mimicking my behavior by leaning forward and using hand motions. Suddenly I'm his best friend. Tells me I'm a bad dad. Tells me she hates me. I hate it when she says that. Because you love her? Because it fucking pisses me off. His reaction is almost explosive. But I've dealt with worse so I don't react. Because you love her. Yeah, I guess. What about your daughter? Do you love her? Of course I do. I mean, she drives me batshit, but she's still my kid. I just don't think she should be treated like the Queen of England, you know? Oh yeah, I know. I know all about you, Anthony Willis. And I know exactly how you feel about your wife and daughter. Does your wife call you names or put you down when you fight? Yeah. Lazy bastard, fat ass, dumbass, deadbeat. Like she thinks it's my fault I can't get a job in this shithole economy. I'm not applying myself. How long has it been since you held a job, Anthony? I already know the answer, but I ask anyways, because I want to see him squirm. It's been, like, a while. Maybe a few months? Suddenly he's not looking at me anymore, and he's leaning back in his seat like he thinks if he gets far enough away, the question won't hit him, or maybe that I won't hear him. But I don't have to hear him, because I know why he's really sitting in my chair. So, does your wife work? No, of course not. She can't work because of the baby, right? She quit her job like a couple months before the baby was born. Isn't that a load of shit? She just gets to prop up her feet all day while everyone rushes around her like she just gave birth to baby Jesus. And then they all scream at me to get a job. Like it's just that easy. If neither of you work, then how do you support yourselves? Of course. I know the answer to this as well. But it's very important he says these things out loud. It's the only way I'm going to lead him to the truth. Her parents, you know? We got a little money, I guess. We sleep in the spare bedroom. Sometimes, 
Sometimes I just sleep on the couch because I don't feel like fucking dealing with it. Sometimes I just want to get a full night of sleep without that kid waking me up, you know? Yes, Anthony, I know. I know all too well. She insists on having the baby sleep in the bed. I don't know why she can't just put the crib in the bathroom or the living room and then just let the baby cry for a little bit, even for just a few hours if it means we'll get some sleep, you know? But no, 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 no. I need a full night of sleep sometimes, you know? What about your wife? Does she ever get a full night of sleep? What she need it for? What she do all day? She's always either sleeping, watching TV, or just completely glued to that baby. But then she complains at me that I should be doing dishes and making dinner, even though I literally spend hours every day on the internet searching for jobs. But as soon as I try to take a break, you can guarantee she's gonna come in here and start screaming at me. I think it's funny that a few moments ago he wasn't even speaking in full sentences to me, and now he's spewing paragraphs. He's not uncomfortable anymore. Still fidgeting though. He keeps his eyes on me, but his hands are traveling all over his body like he's covered in ants. Guilty conscience, Anthony? Living with your in-laws must be stressful for you as well. I'm trying to hit all the pressure points. How worked up can I get him, and what can I get him to confess? Man, you don't even know. I know, Anthony. I know all about it. But I want you to tell me anyways. Her dad? The dude fucking hates me. Like, hates my guts. He is constantly, constantly telling her to leave me. And he really wants to kick me out. Or kill me, probably. And then her mom is just a bitch. Just a straight up bitch. She doesn't like cussing. Doesn't like drinking or smoking. Or anything except for her grandbaby. She treats that baby like it came from God. But me? The man who made the baby? She treats like shit. Go figure. Do you fight with her parents? Yes and no. Like, they won't say anything to my face. They just say it to her. Then we end up fighting because of it. Do you get angry? My voice is so low now it's almost a whisper. I'm leaning forward, preparing for the pounce. Who wouldn't? How angry? Well, sometimes... His voice is getting lower as well. I just, like, I just, I hear that baby. That damn baby screaming and I swear to God I want to kill her. He's holding his hands in front of himself now with his fingers clenched. The tendons in his hands are sticking out and I can see veins under his transparently pale skin clearly. So what do you do when you're angry? I've already got him. He'll answer any question I ask him, but I still want to lead him into his own realization. Also, I'm not done toying with him yet. I... I throw things. Break things. Her mom doesn't like for me to get so drunk sometimes, so I just throw empty bottles and break them when they're not home. I slam the doors, I punch the walls, I kick the walls. I punched a hole in our bedroom door one time. I can't help it. It's really hard, you know, being a man, being treated like a little kid. I just want a little fucking freedom. How does your wife react when you go into a rage? Oh, you know, all scared and shit, like she actually thinks I'm gonna hit her. She gets all freaked out. One time, 
She told me that if I laid a hand on her, then her dad would shoot me. Dude, at this point, that fat old man can go ahead and do it. It would be a fucking blessing right now. And what about the baby? Have you ever heard her? God, no, of course not. I screamed at her before, told her to shut up, but all parents get frustrated. It's actually supposed to be normal to get frustrated sometimes, but I get treated like a monster or something. Sometimes when she's crying so fucking loud, I just can't take it anymore and I have to punch something. Like the wall? Or the door? Yeah, like that, you know? But what about the lamp? Do you sometimes smash the lamps? Sometimes. Yeah. It's like I just want some fucking sleep. And sex. This is really hard to admit, especially for a man. But, you know, we haven't fucked since before she gave birth. She doesn't understand because for her, it's not as big a deal. She doesn't even take one single second to think about how that affects me. Especially since I can't really jerk it anymore than maybe once a day since we have absolutely no privacy. I have to hide in the bathroom like I'm a kid again. It's humiliating. By this point, I'm feeling borderline rage, but I've learned how to hide it very well. My face remains practically expressionless, although underneath I'm tensing up for the kill. Think about the last time you argued with your wife. What was it about? At first, it was because I actually wanted her to actually show me she loved me, you know? Like, put the baby down for two goddamn seconds and pay attention to me for once. Oh, she didn't like that. Of course she didn't like that. How dare I imply that I'm a human being with needs, right? By needs, do you mean sex? Not exactly. I'm just a physical person, you know? Love languages and shit? Well, I'm physical. I like to be touched. You know, initiate a kiss or something every now and then? If it leads to sex, it does, but it doesn't have to. But at the very least, she could try. She would always complain that if she tried it, it would hurt, but like, how the fuck is she going to know if it'll hurt this time if she won't at least try? Once you get this guy talking, he could go on forever. I could get him to spill his entire life story to me now if I wanted to. But I don't. I just want one thing and I'm getting closer and closer. What happened next? I don't remember too well to be honest. Now he's acting like I'm his good buddy. He leans back in the chair and stretches. Talking shit about his wife seems to be making him more confident. Men like him love to talk shit, and when they actually meet someone who will sit there and listen to it without kicking their ass, they eat it up. The hardest part of my job is pretending like I'm not disgusted by men like him. You left the house, didn't you? You were quite angry. Man, angry doesn't even cut it. I was pissed. I think I did leave. Maybe I went to a bar or something. I must have gotten really shit-faced because I can't remember anything. Can't or won't. I have to speak slowly and enunciate each syllable to keep from screaming. What does that mean? Let me help you out. You didn't go to a bar. You went to a gas station. Bought a lot of beer. You drank a lot of beer. All by yourself in the gas station parking lot. Then what happened? Uh, I went home. 
His poor, stupid brain is going into overdrive now. I think maybe for the first time he's actually starting to question where he is, and maybe who the hell I am. But there's no time for that, and he wouldn't understand yet anyway. I have to keep him on track. We're near the breaking point. Yes, you went home. Now focus on remembering. I'm leaning so far over the desk now, I'm practically laying on it. My eyes are stuck on his so hard he doesn't dare look away. I have to keep him focused. Her parents were gone. I was really happy about that. I couldn't stop thinking about how lucky I was. But then I was really mad. Why were you mad? Um, because the fucking door was locked and I didn't have a key. And I was pounding on the door and yelling and she wouldn't come and open it. She was not letting you my own house on purpose. It's not your house, Anthony. But that's not important right now. He's making progress. So how did you get in? Oh, easy. He looks down at his bloodied right hand. I broke the window on the door and just reached through and unlocked it. It was really simple, and I was so drunk that it didn't even really hurt. And your wife? Was she inside? Yeah, I think so. He was still looking at his hand like he just couldn't comprehend. I can't let him finish the puzzle yet. He needs to put the pieces together in order. Anthony, your wife, what was she doing? And what did she do when she saw you? She started fucking screaming, loud, telling me to stay the fuck away from her, oh yeah. And then she tells me, guess what? Her parents at the police station, they're trying to get me put in jail over a tiny punch, like, not even half force. And what did you say? I told her if I was going to jail, then she was going to the hospital. So she fucking runs like a little bitch to her parents' room and locks the door. I can hear the dumb bitch through the door. She's on the phone saying, Oh God, he's going to kill me. Help me. Oh God. I'm mad, so I start kicking the door. I'm really only trying to scare her. But then the door breaks, and the next thing I know, there's a gun pointed at my face. She's pointing a gun at me, but she has the nerve to call the cops on me? I wasn't even afraid, though. I mean, I knew she wouldn't do it, you know? There's no way she has that much courage. So I just start walking forward, and she's walking backwards, and crying, and saying, Don't make me shoot you. So you know what I did? I walked right up to her. I took the gun, and I held it to my chest. And I just said, If you're gonna fucking do it, do it! And you know what she did? She threw the fucking thing on the ground. And then she's just crying and saying, Please don't hurt me. That bitch was gonna shoot me. Can you believe it? He's no longer on the line between crying and laughing. He's playing hopscotch with it. But she didn't shoot you. She couldn't do it. The game is over. Anthony Willis will be leaving my chair and taking his filthy, greasy hair with him. He won't be leaving a better man. It's simply too late for him. But maybe I can rid the world of his stench once and for all. Maybe I can properly finish the job he left half done. No, she couldn't. She was too sweet, too kind, too babying, too scared. Hell, I don't know. But she made a fucking mistake. I saw some bright lights. Yep, she called the fucking cops on me. She had denied me sex like I was fucking unworthy, locked me out of my own house, pulled a gun on me, and then called the cops. And of course, who are the cops gonna believe? Not me, that's for sure. They always take the chick's side. Always. Probably because they think she's gonna bone him, you know? No, Anthony, I don't fucking know. 
a shoulder to cry on becomes a dick to ride on. As they say, what did you do to your wife, Anthony? Well, I thought, you know what? Maybe I would show her what it's like to have a gun shoved in her face. So I grabbed it off the floor and I pointed it at her. And then, I don't know, I was so drunk. Yes, you do remember. You remember exactly what you did. I remember she screamed or something. The cops were banging on the door. It scared me. Say what you did. Say it. I realize that I'm no longer sitting and I can't calm myself down enough to sit. I'm going to break him. He looks at me with tear-filled eyes. A pathetic and ugly look for him. I was just so scared. No, Anthony. She was scared. I think there was some kind of accident. Like, she fell. His veiny, bloody hands are on his face now. They weigh down his skin and make his eyes look saggy and inhuman. No accident. What did you do? I think... I think I... It's rocking now. The truth is fighting him hard. It's fighting to come out and be free. And I think that very soon, he will be defeated by it. I think I shot her. Shot who? Who was she? I'm walking across the floor now and then standing over him. I want to hit him, but I know it will be pointless. So I fight him the only way I know how. Uh, my wife? Her? No, Anthony. Her name. What was her name? Oh God, what's happening? Where am I? Who are these people? He tries to rise from my chair only to find that he's bound, but not by chains. Why can't I leave? Why can't I stand up? This is my last question, Anthony. Just answer it and I will answer your questions. I'll tell you everything. What was her name? He curls up his knees and hides his face in them like a tired child. He can't say it. You have to say it or you won't ever leave this room. You won't ever leave this chair. Please, don't make me. Please. He's openly sobbing now and I can't help but remember how he felt towards his sobbing, pleading wife. You cannot leave unless you say it. There's no other way. This is the toughest stretch, but I know that I've already won. All I have to do is keep pushing. He's so close to breaking. His wailing stops and he's calm for a few seconds. He breathes deeply a few times and I allow him this reprieve. When he looks up at me with bloodshot eyes, I know there's no need to prod him anymore. The truth is bubbling its way up to the top. The silence is thick and heavy and suffocating, which I know will make it all the more relieving when it's broken. Priscilla, my wife's name is Priscilla. The words come out flat and emotionless. I wonder if this is the same way he looked when he pulled the trigger. Her name was Priscilla, I correct him. Standing up, I walk away and sit back down in my chair across the table from him. It's time to answer some questions. Your name is Anthony Willis. You died when you were 23. This is the house that you killed Priscilla and yourself in 10 years ago. These are the people that live here now. You can see them, but they can't see you or hear you. They have a message for you. The young couple sitting on the other side of the room are watching with wide eyes. 
I know that they can't see or hear him, but the goosebumps on their arms and the panic in their faces tell me that they can sense him. One of them is gripping the other's arm so hard I can see pale fingerprints on their arm. Anthony is sitting in the chair and finally looks like what he is. Dead. His eyes are flat and detached, his mouth hanging slightly open. They want you to know that this is their house now and you are not welcome here. You never were welcome here. It's time for you to stop breaking their lamps, kicking holes in their walls, and terrorizing their children. That's why I'm here, to give you this message and to enforce it. He doesn't respond for a few seconds and I'm willing to wait. I have learned that death is a very hard thing to accept, even for those who deserved it. I'm not surprised when he finally starts to fight against his invisible bonds. He's trying so hard just to stand, but I know that his chains are unbreakable. Much stronger people than him have fought them and lost. The chains are made more powerful by personal items of his. His obituary, a picture of him and his dead wife at their high school prom, and a picture of his dead wife and their baby daughter. The couple who now own this house are becoming more frightened as he struggles. His presence must be stronger now with all the energy he's exerting. If he keeps this up, they may be able to see his physical presence. No! This is my house! You're not going to take that away from me! You can't make me leave! He's fighting full force now, which is actually stronger than I would have thought when I first met him. No, Anthony. You are going to leave. I pull a lighter out of my pocket, click it, and produce a small flame. Anthony seems to go even paler when he sees it. When I burn these items, you will be released from this world. To go wherever it is, you will go. Wait! Where will I go? That's for you to find out, Anthony. I'm still alive, so I don't know. I bring the flame towards the pictures in front of me, but he cries out again and I allow him his last words. Am I going to hell? I don't know, Anthony. Why don't you send me a postcard? I like the pictures. I know the couple in the room with me can hear the screaming because they both jump and grow a shade paler. One of them actually screams out loud and acts like they're going to bolt for the door. To my surprise, they find enough courage to stay. I know that I was terrified as well the first time that I heard the wailing death screams of an unwilling spirit being forcefully ripped from this world, but now I find a small amount of pleasure. The world could always use less Anthony Willis's. Of course, it's the most horrible people who always seem to cling to life the hardest. It might be because they're so terrified of what awaits them on the other side. Or maybe it's because they just want to inflict as much pain as possible. Either way, it's not my job to know. It's just my job to get rid of them. Not a job I chose, but the job that was chosen for me. The last remnants of Anthony Willis are fading out from this world. And long tendrils of smoke that continue to spark in an unworldly manner. The young couple are holding each other and hiding their faces from the gruesome sight that I have grown so desensitized to. Eventually, the smoke starts to clear, but a musky sulfur smell is still lingering in the hazy room. Yeah, we'll definitely be having that chair cleaned. The next few moments are silent except for the haunting echoes of Anthony's passing. The couple finally look towards me. One's face is tear-streaked and they are trembling. The other steps forward and addresses me while never letting go of the other's hand. Is it gone? They ask in a whisper that's barely more than a breath. Yes, he's gone. He won't be back either. 
Of course, if I were you, I would still keep my eye out for any other occurrences. While in common, this was a traumatic death involving more than one person, so I'd keep an eye out for the wife just in case. The wife? When he killed? Their question reminds me that they could only actually hear my side of the conversation. Yes, it's unlikely that she's still here, and even if she is, I don't think she would actually cause you any problems. But if there are any problems, don't hesitate to call me again. Okay. Thank you. A and um, the payment? They ask tentatively. I never ask for payment up front because in my experience, any medium who asks for payment up front is a fraud. My assistant will get with you about that. Is there anywhere you can stay for the night? Possibly tomorrow as well? My mother's house. That's where the children are right now. Why? Is it not safe yet? They seem so awkward in talking about this. They always do. I find that many people, when actually confronted with the supernatural, would rather brush it under the rug and erase it from their minds. I can't blame them, honestly. It's not the kind of thing you can just bring up at a company picnic in a casual conversation. And retelling the story around a campfire at night just seems to make light of the situation. His presence is gone, but there is a remaining mist and a bad odor that will likely persist until tomorrow evening, possibly the next morning even. Some people have found this smell to be overbearing, and some have even had negative side effects because of it. Nothing too serious. Headaches, nausea, lightheadedness, moodiness. Finding another place to sleep for the next two nights would be safer. I think that's a great idea. I'll call your mother, now. The one who has been crying seems eager to leave this place in return when the memories are less fresh and easier to reconstruct into something tangible. They leave the room quickly and as soon as the door is open, the pressure in the dark and musty room is lightened. I don't know what to say. I don't understand this at all, but thank God for people like you. What would have happened if we hadn't called you? I mean, could it have gotten worse? Well, if you'd waited too long, I wouldn't have been able to help. I'm sorry for your family's misfortune and I hope you're able to move past this quickly. The children may take a little time, of course. The younger they are, the better they seem to be able to remember it for some reason. Even the baby? Especially the baby. She'll probably remember this years and years from now, even after you've long forgotten. I'm sorry. I don't want to be rude, but I have a flight to catch, so I can't stay for much longer. No, no, of course. Go ahead. Thanks again. I'm led to the door and I feel the familiar rush of fresh air and sunshine and life in general. So, yeah, um, this is one of the reasons why I'm not on our no sleep, because let's be real, I'm a fraidy cat, but this was fun in the sense that part of me wanted to read this as John Constantine, but I can't keep his accent up, and I feel like it would just be insulting if I even tried. Could have tried. I don't want to. See, I can't even do it properly today. It's okay, Miggy. This sucks. We can, we can practice accents next time. Oh, I mean, sure. There, there's going to be a next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. <sighs> See, I am doing this because, first of all, it's fun. 
that's second of all. But first of all, I kind of need to be desensitized to these things, especially if I'm gonna start watching like more horror films with me. More like the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh yeah, it's coming. It should be already out by now on Netflix. Go watch it if you haven't yet. Yes. I still can't let go of the whole Riverdale thing though, but that's for a different time. Yeah, that's a different discussion. Maybe we'll do an episode of that next time. Yes, we will. Uh, but for now... It's my turn. Here goes. My students submitted the most disturbing living history project I've ever seen by user Gretel Cat. One of my least favorite parts about being a middle school history teacher is the bullshit living history assignments we give at the end of every school year. Kids are supposed to sit with their grandparents and videotape, voice record, or transcribe their oldest memories for posterity, and for an easy way to bring up their GPA. I've been doing this for 17 years, and when I collected the projects this time around, I assumed they would be as dull, if not duller, than usual. This had not been a particularly bright class. So, I went home, poured myself a glass of wine, and prepared for a long night of I only owned two pairs of pants when I was your age, and my brother got beat with a newspaper for hitting a baseball into a neighbor's yard. And of course, these projects were peppered with innocent, old-person comments that were so horribly sexist and racist, you just had to laugh. Now, I had a girl in my class who I'll call Olivia. She was a pudgy, quiet, and proved herself a consistent B student. I expected her project to be as unremarkable as her, and perhaps that's why I was so profoundly disturbed by what I witnessed that night. Olivia had submitted two discs for some reason, so I began with the one marked interview. My screen hiccuped twice before a grainy image of a living room came into view. The place was a hoarder's hell. Olivia was curled up in an armchair, clutching a notebook and looking like a scared animal. Across from her sat a man with a somber countenance, smoking a cigarette and staring at her expectantly. Go ahead, a woman's voice whispered from behind the camera. Olivia's owlish eyes flashed towards the screen, then back to the man. I'm here with my great-uncle Stephen, she began almost inaudibly. He's going to tell us about his oldest memories from being in the army. Great-uncle Stephen looked like he'd rather be in a goddamn trench at the moment, but he waited patiently for the questions to begin. Not surprisingly, Olivia read verbatim from the suggested questions sheet I handed out to the students. He answered her curtly. Once or twice, I heard her mother whisper, Speak up, Olivia, from behind the camera. Typical boring shit. So, I was intrigued when Olivia set down the notebook and asked, Did you like being in the army? That was totally off script. Great Uncle Stephen emitted a chain smoker squeeze. <laughs> nope. Glad to get out of my town, though. Where did you go? Balkans? Uh-huh. I doubted she knew what the Balkans were, and my suspicions were confirmed when she asked. Was Balkis very different from here? <laughs> yes. 
The mom cleared her throat from behind the camera, perhaps encouraging Great Uncle Stephen to be a little more forthcoming with the information. But Olivia seemed genuinely interested. Uncle Stephen, what's your very worst memory from the army? The old man crushed his cigarette in the ashtray and then slowly lifted himself out of the chair. I'll be back, he mumbled. Then the camera cut off. When the screen flashed back on, everything was the same except Great Uncle Stephen had several pieces of paper in plastic sleeves laid atop all the crap sitting on his coffee table. One he held in his hand. I was a kid when I enlisted, he said, looking at Olivia. Your brother's age, he told her. Olivia nodded. I never saw combat. Both of my deployments were to cities in Eastern Europe that had been destroyed by civil wars. Everything was a mess. Felt like a janitor for fuck's sake. Ahem! Mum coughed. Great Uncle Stephen sighed and looked at his paper. My unit was assigned to a school that had been obliterated by all the violence. Broken windows, caved in rooms, and for some reason, the part that got to me the most was that the school had been like this for years before he got there. No one had lifted a finger to fix it. I saw kids walk by it on their way to go beg for money or whatever shit they did. The camera dipped towards the floor as I heard Mom whisper harshly at Great Uncle Stephen. I couldn't make out what she was saying, but it wasn't hard to imagine. Do you want to hear this goddamn story or not? I heard him bark in response. Then you better let me tell it how I want. Mom, please stop interrupting, Olivia chimed. Are you presenting this in front of the class? No, Mom, we're just handing it to the teacher. I'm sure he's heard the word shit before. Great Uncle Stephen contributed helpfully. I wasn't a he as a matter of fact, but other than that, the statement was accurate. The camera was lifted and a couple of blurry focus adjustments later, the shot was the same as before. I'm talking too much anyway, he grumbled. He lifted the piece of paper in his hand closer to his face. In the basement, I found this letter. I didn't know what it said, but I had a buddy of mine translate it, so I'm gonna read it now. And then I'll tell you what I saw in that basement. A chill ran down my spine. Mom zoomed in to Great Uncle Stephen and his letter. His palsied hands trembled as he held up the paper. This is what he read. Dear Sir, I never loved my country. So many of these skirmishes are born from patriotism. A power struggle for the shards of a once great empire. But I do not care what name my home has on a map. This fighting is senseless and I stay as far away from it as I can. It was not these attacks and disorganized violence that took the lives of my wife and child. It was illness. Mercifully, it happened quickly for the baby. Nadia suffered for much longer. I watched in horror knowing I could do nothing for them. My only solace is that I was here for them every step of the way. I stopped going to work one day and no one came after me. I doubt they noticed I was gone. 
Since the school was simply across a field visible from my window, it would have been easy to go for a few hours each day and come home quickly to care for them. But what was the point? All I did was clean floors. I was as useless to the world as I was to my family. I tried to take Nadia to the hospital, but the journey was too long and taxing. I brought her home and she died that night. After Nadia and the baby were gone, well, I don't remember much. I didn't leave my hovel, barely ate and slept, thought many times of taking my own life. Tempting though it was, I felt paralyzed by my own helplessness. The one thing that kept me sane was my radio. I never turned off once, even though I didn't listen to the words being said. In fact, the channel I got the clearest was in English, I think, which I don't speak a lick of. But the voices, the music, and the true knowledge that life existed beyond this violent city, it sustained me. I have no idea how long passed before I saw the light of day again. I was dizzy from hunger, so finding food was my priority. My radio came with me, of course. Since I first hold up, it has gone everywhere with me. It talks to me as I sleep and as I wake. I don't know what it's saying, but I know I would die without it. Once, I had some water and food. It occurred to me that the only thing left to do was go back to work. So I did. The following morning, I simply returned to the school where I was a janitor and got back to work. Nobody made the big deal about it. Like I said, Nadia had been sick for a long time and those who worked at the school knew it. I appreciate that no one had pestered me to come back to work during the hardest days of my life. The teachers never said much to me, but we smiled at each other in the halls, and that mutual respect was perhaps the reason I decided to come back at all. The place had gone to the dogs without me, so I simply grabbed my broom and rags from my closet and set to cleaning. Everyone is grateful to have me back, I know, and the best part is that nobody minds my radio. I bring it with me everywhere and keep the volume low enough not to disrupt the students. No one's ever complained. In fact, I suspect they like it. The schoolhouse isn't very big, but does require a lot of maintenance. The floors are always sticky and stained, so I spend most of my time mopping. Kids make messes. I guess that's why I'm still in business. Sometimes I have to move things around to make sure I get every spot in the floor beautiful and clean. But I take pride in that. And the repairs. The school always needs tune-ups here and there, and I'm happy to help. Some days I'm reconstructing a desk that broke as I whistle along with the radio. Other times I handle more serious structural issues. Days when I have work like this, I truly feel instrumental. Like a cog in a larger machine. How could the school survive without me? It took me a long time, but... I once again feel that I have purpose. There's a larder behind the school that's full of preserved food. In lieu of payment, I'm allowed to take as much food as I need. That arrangement is fine. What would I do with money anyway? I used to bring food back to my own home, just one field away from the school. 
But when I started sleeping in the basement, no one seemed to notice. This school is special to me, and I cannot leave it unguarded. When I'm besieged with memories of my wife and child, I just turn up the volume on the radio to drown out such thoughts. It works for me every time, except this morning. Because this morning, I woke up to dead silence. I frantically examined the radio to see what had happened. I honestly cannot tell you how many days in a row I'd been using it. Did it simply live out its life and die naturally? I've spent the entire day trying to fix it. Most of this time I have been crying. I'm, I'm losing my mind without it. I've given myself until sundown. If I cannot fix it by then, I'm going to take my life. I am writing this because the sunlight is starting to die and I know what my fate shall be. I have thought about taking one last walk through the halls of my school saying goodbye to the students and teachers. I know I will be missed, but I cannot bring myself to leave this room. I cannot go anywhere knowing that my radio is dead in here. There are no tears. There are no more tears in me. It feels now like I can't catch my breath. I vomited what little food I had in my stomach and I'm going dizzy again, like I did after Nadia died. I am not long for this world. But before I take my life, I've closed the door to this room and stuck a chair beneath the handle. It's the only room in the basement and has a small casement that lets in just enough light for me to see what I am doing. If anyone is kind enough to come looking for me, they should not be met with this gruesome sight. Perhaps they will see that the door is blocked, smell my rotting body, and simply forget I ever existed. I have placed both my radio and this note outside the door. Kind sir, if you are reading this, I have one humble request. Please fix it. Save my radio. It did not deserve to die in its sleep and I'm ashamed that I cannot revive it. Now I am ready to join Nadia and little Ludmila in heaven. I hope this school can find another janitor who loves and cares for it the way I do. The hour is now. Do not forget my radio. Stanislav. When mom zoomed back out, Olivia had tears in her eyes. Thank you for sharing, Uncle Stephen, Mom said, her voice choked. I think we have enough. Wait! He said there's more, Olivia chirped. What did you find? Before Great Uncle Stephen could open his mouth, the image disappeared. My jaw dropped. Was that it? What did Great Uncle Stephen see? I promptly remembered that there was a second disc. This one was unmarked, but I hoped it contained the rest of the interview. There was no video, only audio. The voice that started up was Olivia's. Hi, Miss Jarity. I'm sorry about my mom, but she refused to record the rest of what my uncle was saying. But I asked him to continue and secretly recorded the story as a voice memo on my phone. 
I remember you said earlier this year that the history is written by the people who win wars, she said. But everyone's history is important, even if they are sad, pathetic people, and even if they never won a single thing in their life. I haven't slept through the night since I finished this project, but you have to hear what my uncle has to say. There were tears in my eyes now, too. The sincerity of her words were beautiful. I was also flattered that she'd remembered some trite phrase I threw around because it was what my history teacher said to me. Before I got too sappy over it, the audio began again. Fine, came mom's frustrated voice. If you want to hear the rest of the story, fine, but this is not appropriate for a school project. Let me finish, great uncle Stephen snapped. If it's too much for you, you help yourself to a snack in the kitchen, but Olivia wants to know what happened. I heard her mother mumble something and walk away. Olivia and her uncle were alone now. I imagined her looking at him expectantly. So, did you find the radio? Or did it get ruined when the skull got blown up? He rasped and I heard the distinct click of a lighter. That letter, he began slowly had a date on it. What date? It was dated two weeks before we started rebuilding the school. Didn't you say the school had been destroyed like two years ago? Yes, it had been, replied great uncle Stephen. There was silence as I felt goosebumps on my arms. The images that came to my mind were almost too overwhelming to express, but great uncle Stephen put them into words effortlessly. Clearly, he had spent his whole life thinking about it. This man, this Stanislav, he went to a vandalized, falling apart schoolhouse and cleaned up blood and rubble like it was spilled drinks and dust. He smiled at dead bodies in the hallways and believed they were smiling back at him because they liked his radio. He moved around corpses so he could sweep the ground under them. Their roof was half collapsed, so when it rained, he must have gotten soaking wet, but was so oblivious that he didn't even feel a thing. I could hear Olivia crying steadily. I found the larder he was talking about. It was all pickled, preserved food that probably tasted like shit. Most of this stuff was moldy. Did... did you see the dead body? Yes, hanging from the ceiling, but still amazingly lifelike. He wasn't rotting away. This hadn't happened years ago. Did he look peaceful? She asked, a chord of desperation in her voice. Couldn't tell you. The smell was rank and his face was blue and his eyes were bulging. Like this. I imagined him demonstrating. And the radio? Olivia wept. I heard great uncle Stephen take a long drag of his cigarette. It was there, all right. And it was still playing. Miggy is sufficiently creeped out. 
<laughs> Look at me. Yeah, he gone. He gone pale. Okay, do you need, do you need to come along? <laughs> Are you okay? Do you need a drink? The guy said the radio died, but Great Uncle Steven said the radio was on this entire time. Uh, <laughs> no. But the guy said everybody in the school was alive too. Uh, yep. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was um, that was creepy. Thanks, Stanislav. He's not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 Mickey's not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> He's uh, actually managed to get through the haunting of Hill House. I didn't have a choice because they were using my PlayStation. Okay, that's not that doesn't count. It has to count. I, I, I my phone was charging, so I couldn't play anything. And the choice what to watch. So you were forced to watch it, yes. but you didn't. You didn't. You didn't sit down and volunteer to watch this. No, but I also actually. Okay, fair. Enough. Okay, fair. Um, for those wondering, Miggy has gone uh, to a corner and um, sat himself there. That's why he's kind of far away. This is about as close as I'm willing to get. Hold on, I just misheard that and thought you said he went to the corner and sat down. Oh well. Kind of like a corner by the door. By the door, yeah. yeah. It's a corner ish. Ish. Again, thematically appropriate. <laughs> yeah, if a murderer comes through here, yoink! <laughs> Look, this is just preparation for you for tonight. For a murderer. true. I mean, who knows? I could be the murderer. Please don't kill me. Or it could be you, maybe. Yeah. I'm gonna have a lot of fun if I get to play murderer. Yeah. I killed him for love. Wow! Wow! <laughs> the mood whiplash. <laughs> Ow, my neck felt that. Do you have a scary story, Gino? I don't have a scary story. Like, not even from your um, name. So there's, okay, there's this one that keeps getting told, and it's, it's just the deliberate scary story thing that happens. And I'm going to retell it, and I am going to ask forgiveness from our Australian viewers. You've heard this before. And it's usually told by people under 20. So the scary story goes as follows. person was on, this person, like this, the storyteller, was on a train heading home. Because um, trains are our main form of transportation in cities over there. Train heading home to the suburbs from the city. Trains, a little bit empty, but I, this person just decided to sit. And happened to sit near, or but like the seats were fixed, so he couldn't change the seats. Sits down finds himself across two women, sorry, three women, two women of like build and somebody in the middle. And the one in the middle just kept staring back at this guy, the most intense stare ever. And so this guy's absolutely puzzled. He's like creeped out, mild sweats. She's looking at him. The two, uh, the two women flanking her are also looking at him, but she's got this amazingly intense stare. And so he, like, he's creeped out. He's, he, the fight or flight function has just gone to freeze. And he can't get up. And it, he eventually nears... He, he's looking like he's panicking. And it takes another passenger coming in from somewhere else. Picks him up. Quite forcefully picks him up. And brings him out onto the nearby station when it stops. And the guy's like, Oh, that's, you know, like, I'm a bit scared. Why did you pull me out? And the guy's like, you don't understand. Those two women have just stabbed that woman in the center. She's dead. Is that a... 
So this isn't a true story. I have heard I have heard variants <laughs> of this story. Um, like this is mostly from Australia, but I think I've actually heard a version of the story told here. You know, I think it might actually sound familiar, but yeah, it's it's it goes around. It's isn't it? it's yeah. probably one of those scary stories that everyone knows. Probably. Like, like a friend of a friend told you the scariest yeah, story. Yeah, like then... um, the the first time it was told to me, it, they said it was somebody that a friend of theirs knew, and so it's like <laughs> it's okay, fine, third hand story, let's go. Yeah. And then I heard somebody tell the story again about like you know a few the... years later. Huh. How many times does yeah, this? It's, it's, is there like a roving band of two women <laughs> who just go, go slag some woman and stab her? To or, the degree or, that she's stuck, like she's frozen in that intense stare face, or or maybe it's only two women and the mannequin. Mm. As an aside, okay. though, I just looked straight at Miggy immediately after telling the story, and he also had the same intense stare. <laughs> <laughs> the intense, scared stare. My brain automatically jumped like Elizabeth Bathory lives. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a folk story though. That was quite real. Okay, I have um. One more short, short, scary story. This is very short. I'm pretty sure we've all had stories like this. We've, we probably have a version of this in the Philippines also. This story is In the Mound by Anonymous. For years, we'd listened to my grandfather. Do not go near the mound. Put milk and bread out every night. Wear the bits of iron around our necks safety. That's what he said it was all for. And of course, we believed him. When I was 10, my cousin visited. He was from the city and he laughed when we put out the milk and bread. So we did it for him in his name. Grandpa would have been proud. We hid iron in my cousin's shoes with a sprig of holly from by the front porch under the left sole so he could never lose his way coming home. We tried so hard. But then he pushed my sister, called us mean names. He said he wanted the mound people to come. He was 12. He didn't believe they were strong enough to do anything. He could beat them up. We tried to apologize. We put sugar on the bread to sweeten their minds. They didn't care. Our milk was curdled, rotten, and stinking in the morning. The bread was black and hard, and my grandfather said the cows wouldn't milk, and all the chickens' eggs had their inners sucked clean. He asked us if we had remembered to do what was right, and we told him that we had. We didn't tell him what our cousin had done. We didn't want to get in trouble for letting him say it. The next morning, our cousin was gone. His room was covered with little handprints, little feet on the walls and the windowsill. At the bottom of the window was some more footprints, but they were much bigger. My grandfather muttered about the leprechaun the brownies, the pixies. He never named the mound folk, but he knew. We all knew that they'd taken my cousin. My grandfather went to the mound later that day. He cut a lock of my sister and mine's hair, braiding it around a sprig of holly. He carried an ash staff and an iron knife, an old country iron and bronze at his wrists and throat. He took gifts because you never went to the mound without them. He was gone for three weeks. Grandma fed us, always saying he would come back home. And he did. 
with something that he said that was my cousin. They were both dirty and bruised, and my grandfather had aged. My cousin said he'd snuck out and been lost in the woods, and he'd been found by her grandfather by the river. He still swears the mound folk aren't real. But his eyes are green instead of blue, and at night, he sits on our windowsill and eats bread and milk, and he winks at us, asking us to take off our iron. Changeling! It's a changeling! <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think we have... We folk, have lots, we have lots, folk stories, yeah. Lots of folk stories about that here. I mean, if you wanted to fill out your Halloween roster, just look at, like, traditional Filipino folklore. Yeah. Easy do it. Easy. Um, there's always this one story that it's one of those stories that have been told over and over again by a friend of a friend or um, a cousin, a cousin's friend, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. That uh, in the province they'd be, you know, walking like miles and miles of either farm or forest just to get back home. This is a folklore mm-hmm. thing as well. It's like every time, and I'm sorry, you can censor this out. Like you can, you can cut this out if this, this doesn't fit. Every time they like, every time they make you pee out in the woods, they tell you. Oh to, yeah, they tell you to like. Um, they tell you, they, yeah, they tell you to like announce that you're doing it. Yeah. And then everybody cleared away so you don't accidentally pee yeah. on them. Yeah. Yeah. That's why every time you walk past by a tiny ant hill or a mound mm. or whatever, you, you just say you have to say tabi tabi po. Yep. Excuse through. me, coming through. You just have to tell them that you're passing by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because you know, I don't, I don't want to end up. Living a thousand years in in somewhere yeah. somewhere that's not here. Yeah. Um. So anyway, a person would be walking through the fields, and then they'd notice that you know it's getting late it's in the afternoon, but he's still walking through the fields when he should be home by now. And then he'd real he he'd realize that he's been you know walking hours and hours and hours and hours, and the sun still hasn't you know fully set when it should have. Mm. So what they would do is like take off their shirt, put it on backwards, and then start walking again. And then a few minutes later, they'd find themselves home. That's that's the most common story I've heard. There's a more common one that's less. There's a more common one that's less fade and more, you know, disembodied spirit. Oh yeah. The white lady of Malaysia. <laughs> oh, of course, the white lady. Of course, the white. You know, some people claim that it's actually a prank started by uh, 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 yeah, like I, I, two I, I, old ladies wearing is, in a nightgown, and then it's probably it. Like they, the guy driving at speed along the drive sees somebody in the white or loses control or freaks out or something like that. Because you're when you're driving at night, anything in your peripheral vision is just gonna sound or are gonna look like an apparition. Yeah, especially right? at night at Balad Drive. Uh, especially years before they installed the uh, proper street lights and then cut down some of the trees. And before it started getting gentrified. Oh, I, re- mm. I do remember that the there was a show that actually tried to debunk it by kind of explaining that a lot of the apparitions were being caused by a particular cluster of plants. That was mm. you're traveling fast with the headlights on reflected back, so it looks like this shiny white thing that just dashes past you as you go mm-hmm. through the road. 
And that's totally that's that's totally explainable because like human beings are trained to recognize patterns even if patterns don't exist. <laughs> they do. Like yeah. it is an instinctive thing with <laughs> us to to look and like see faces where, where there aren't there are actually any, faces. Especially like if that surface is like marble or has a pattern. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always going to be a face looking right back at you. Yeah. Or that's that's why it's a pastime to like to to call out shapes in clouds. Mm. Just, you're just exercising your your inbuilt ability to to make to things, make things up, appear yeah. in the dark. Though. Like yeah, sometimes like walls would have wet stains on them and then if you stare hard enough it'll be a face staring right back at you yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's time to clean the room <laughs> like give yourself a pitch block um, mm. environment your mind starts going like oh, oh yeah you give it a you give it an unlit corner leading into a fairly dark place and your mind just races Yeah, speaking of like dark rooms, I have a story from uh, back in my old room. Um, I think it was a weekend I was sleeping in. I slept for a long time. So I guess it was dinner time at that point. And then I just got woken up. And since it's dinner time, it's dark. And you know, my room is dark, pitch black. But then I see this human shaped shadow just stand up from a sitting position next to my bed and then walk away. So, actually, <laughs> I didn't even think anything of it because I thought it was just the house help waking me up so I can go eat dinner. But then I find out that nobody's been up in my room since I got... <laughs> Look at Miggy, he's You're so defeated. <laughs> scarier every time I hear it. You're just reliving it every time now. Yeah. Because I've slept in that room. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. When one of the sleepovers from way before. We were in um so the last time I was here, sorry, the last time Australia kicked me out voluntarily. They didn't kick me out, sorry, immigration. Um <laughs> I am I am making that particular detail up. But the last time we were here, we went up to one of northern provinces mm. and we visited a relative's house and one of their bedrooms had one of those you've seen like all along here in Manila you'll see religious statues and all mm. that and they're not they're not necessarily statues a lot of them are um, a lot of them are models with screw off parts yeah. right the head screw off the torso screws off yeah let me know if i should stop anyway no, keep going this keep particular going. display cabinet <laughs> had just the hands and the head of a particular one directly facing the bed <laughs> so we didn't stay there but like at two in the afternoon it's scary enough as it is that i don't want to be there at night wow it's like the the, the place where the, the place we're staying at now the lower floor has all of these old statues from i guess like the end of the war to the late 80s i think it was everything from everything from the virgin mary statues to just religious stuff to santa nina which is like a local idol kind of thing mm. um and then they have there is like um a japanese doll as well and they have the kokeshis and it looks really cool in the daytime i quite like kokeshi dolls and, and other mannequins like that if the lights are off the wrong way Like if only specific lights in the um, in the lower floor are on, the light tends to be really creepy. 
I'll just I not can look imagine at her how, how the light would play tricks. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I don't have my doll out. I have um, a ball of joined a doll. I just keep it inside a closet. I don't put it out because at certain lights and certain angles, you'd think that his eyes would be following me. My wife has a porcelain doll that she inherited from her grandmother, and it scares the living daylights out <laughs> of me if I see it at night. And I just hold it in and just move on. <laughs> just, like, honestly, if I scream, she's gonna laugh at me. <laughs> or the cat is gonna panic. <laughs> if I ever see said doll, I will probably just jump out of my skin. Yeah. Okay, well, um, remind me if you're coming over. <laughs> if you're flying down the equator and I'll um I'll make sure to point it out. Just so you're aware. <laughs> Environmental awareness is important because if you don't know that it's there and you run into it the first time on the really bad light, that's where you're gonna get the trauma. That's true. If you know it's there, you're only going to get less trauma. So you know how uh some people say that cats will guard you against spirits and stuff. I think it was an Egyptian belief. Yes. Yes. My cats would really sometimes just stare. Because in my new room, I have this desk with a huge mirror, uh, some sort of vanity table. Mm. There'd be there's a mirror on there. Sometimes they just sit on the floor and stare at it. Or that, or at the other mirror mounted on the wall. Mm. They just stare. My cat has it, a habit of um, staring like straight out the front, the, the like the, the the windows at the front mm. of the house. Uh, I'll let you get back to your story, but I'm just we we know for we know for sure he's not like guarding against anything. He's just lonely. Oh, maybe he needs another cat. No, he hates other cats. He's a very solitary cat who somehow wants company like my <laughs> time, but not anywhere else. And I'm like, no, that that doesn't. That's not how it works. Yeah, but you've never had like two or three cats there at like one point in your room at the same time, like from different places too. Mm. And there's and I know there's nothing there because the walls are white. Mm. And they would just stare at, stare at it. Once I thought it was like a house spider, like mm. you know, those are like small, tiny, and have very long, spindly, long legs. spindly legs that are almost invisible on white walls. But I walked over, and there was nothing there, and they were still staring. So, uh, speaking of ghosts, did you guys see the new Pokemon game? Which Pokemon game? Pokemon Ghostbusters. Pokemon Ghostbusters. Am I even kidding? It's called Ghostbusters World. It's literally Pokemon Go. Okay, all right. You need to be very specific about that because they just came out with like a Halloween <laughs> celebration yeah, just... thing for Pokemon, and I'm like, ah, when did they get together with Ghostbusters? What is that mixing of the Same. I was like, what? Where is it? I don't see it. It's been yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's loading. So what is oh, it? Under maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, but I had a lot of fun with it. Mm. I'll see because I've kind of been burnt out by other um, other like uh, geo mm. geolocation AR kind of games. It's not yeah, it's like more uh, yeah geolocation specific ones. Because mm. Garfield Go was a dumpster fire. 
<laughs> there was a Garfield one. It does exist. It's from the makers of um, a different geolocation game called mm. Munzee. Mm. Um, and wow, I really don't like the, the the entire premise of it is that you're it's the same as Pokemon Go. You're walking around to collect stuff, um, but the unlocks are Garfield cards mm. and wallpapers. And I'm like, I have the internet for that. This one, this one. The difference between it and Pokemon Go is that um, you have ghost battles. You collect ghosts for that. You don't necessarily have to keep walking. Mm. It's all time based. Oh. It has its own story mode. Right. You can turn off the game. Because I was at work the other day. I was in the elevator trying to catch Nekomata of all ghosts, and I was like. So this is um so you're like this isn't really location aware. This is more of like a time based thing that has an AR function. You can switch it on. And, I think so. It the, yeah, it sounds area. like it. But like ingress. Yeah, yeah. You can mm. go to certain spots and pick up extra items. Right, 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 right. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'll I will have a look at it. <laughs> um, but like ingress set a really high bar for geolocation games. You know, yeah. It's kind of it unlucky for me because I never got to play ingress. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Ingress is still going. They're, the storyline is actually unfolding in a really interesting direction right now, um, and and I've gone I've gone geocaching in Sydney. This is a plug. Mm -hmm. um, and I have actually run into the the Sydney Resistance or Sydney Ex, um, Exotic Matter Foundation or something like that. They have put these these recruit stickers on lampposts and oh. stuff. At that's, certain that's, points, that's true AR gaming. Right oh now. yeah, no the 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 ingress scene, the um the way people play ingress, it's like it's coordinated, that's like so cool. tactical level. It makes you wonder stuff. if we have that kind of thing here. Here in the Philippines, you might because sure. it's like okay. So here's here's the thing, right? The ingress um the ingress node map mm -hmm. is the Pokemon Go stop map. Yeah, yeah. Pokestops and gyms Pokestops are and based gyms. on Ingress. They're they're also specifically based on um, on Ingress node levels. So nodes higher than five, I think nodes level higher than higher than level five, become gyms. Well, there's this Yeah, and it also yeah. explains why most of the um, most of the gyms are churches. Yeah. Sorry, not most of the gyms. Most of the stops and gyms are churches. Because the, the rules in Ingress is they have to be not just places of interest, but places of gathering. Um, yeah, things that, of, that things makes of, sense. Yeah, things of particular artistic, religious, or um, historical significance. That makes sense. That makes sense. There's a lot of um, religious Pokestops here in the Philippines. Yeah, no, it, the, the general so rule many. is, is this a church? Okay, down the, um, down the, <laughs> the, the, the dinosaur. This is an established non-Protestant church. It's a focus stop. Even if um, it's just one of those uh, sacred heart yep. pictures yep. on a, um, on the wall of someone's house, if it's a, it'll yeah, show up. It, uh, I mean, if it's if it's a tiny shrine, it'll probably show up. Yeah. The, the same rule applies in in Japan. If it's a temple or a small shrine, mm -hmm. it's probably a focus stop. And there are a lot of those in Japan. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna plan a trip to Japan just to. Uh, Pokemon Go yes. there. Um, your your hotspot, your hotspot for catching all of the really rare things is mm -hmm. the Yodogashi camera in Akihabara. Noted. Yep. <laughs> there are three gyms within about 100 meters of each other. There, they are always uh, they are always heavily heavily fought after. 
so don't worry about that. <laughs> but when you're on there, if something spawns on it, if you don't catch the first batch of people that get in, go in anyway, there's going to be a second batch, and a third, and a fourth. <laughs> See, that's, that's what's fun that's about what, yeah, other places. Other, here in the Philippines? You don't get in the first one, you're screwed. Correct. No, that's the same way in Australia. Yeah. That is the same way in Australia. If you don't, if you see it um, if you see it about the spawn, it's counting down in a minute, run to the thing because if you don't get in on that first group, you there's no one yeah, else. Yeah, no unless you group. are yourself carrying a group, no one, no one else is going to go in after you. My colleagues and I at work, we have actually commandeered an elevator just to get in there, just to get in there in time. <laughs> yeah, we go, we go, like, I think we go really mad if there's an elevator. The, the other problem with playing Pokemon Go in Australia is that, like, the, the distances between Pokestops are fairly far. Like, we're not in a small country. Mm -hmm. um, so in this, even in the cities, um, they're usually about 100 meters or more apart. Very rarely will you find clusters together. Like, they're, they're right in the middle of the city. Like, I would say in the central business district. I work in a cluster. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I work near a gym and a stop, but I have to cross the street to get to it. Um, I work near a mall and a park, so they're like... Oh, you win, yeah. Yeah. Um, Walking distance to a lot of stops and gyms. I have a friend who lives in a regional town of 1,000, I think. Wow. No, it's even bigger than that, sorry. He lives in a fairly large regional town. The city has six focus stops. Ouch. Yeah, but then again, the city is four blocks. <laughs> like, yeah. and then it's just suburbs out from that. I'm point. I'm lucky because even though the house itself doesn't have a stop, we're walking distance to a gym mm. and a lot of stops. Yeah, where I am now, we're just around the corner from one, and I've never felt so privileged. It's <laughs> so weird. It's just like this ready and like ready focus stop. You can, yeah. you can like every morning, you're like, "Hey, good morning." Yeah, we gotta I'm, get there I'm a, somehow. I'm a I'm a gym ready for taking. Down. I haven't earned so, I haven't earned as many poker coins as this week. I have not. <laughs> I have not had Pokemon in gyms so often. Wow. Oh, um, there was this one time I got lucky and put my uh, one of my Pokemon in a provincial gym. It stayed there for a very long time. See, the thing is now it's that it's not even um, that's not even great value because yeah, it, it earns a maximum yeah, of fifty coins. Coin. And that's also Bef your daily limit. Yeah, before it was a pretty good value because there wasn't a limit yet. I think. Oh yeah, no, you could mine. A, you, you can, can mine yeah, a provincial could, gym. Yeah, but they did. Yeah. So. It was like you're not gonna get this for free. You have <laughs> to give us money for poker coins. Yep. Anyway, um, I guess that's it for uh, this episode. Yes. Horror stories and Pokemon Go. <laughs> Good job, team. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Uh, we won't spoil the surprise just yet. But Miggy looks like he wants to, so I'm gonna end before he does. So, uh, until next time! Bye! Bye!
thank you for listening to the Sodium Exposure Podcast. Check us out at anchor.fm slash sodium exposure and follow us at Sodium Exposure on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to get updates. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on your favorite podcast app. Until next time!